assuming that the AI becomes more and more prevalent, you assume everything is fake. So where do you go for authenticity? You go into small groups, people you trust, yeah. curated groups. And so communities become more valuable that way. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the TMBA podcast. Thank you for clicking that fresh new logo or opening us up on a window on your laptop for a friendly distraction during the workday. we got a good one for you today. Travis Jameson first came on this podcast, oh, a gazillion years ago, over 10 years ago, because he knocked on our villa's door in Bali and said, hey, I'm an SEO expert. And we said, cool, we should have a guest on our podcast. And all of a sudden became a thing. He's been a guest on our podcast a couple handfuls of times. And today we're going to do this format where we talk about and compare different business models and how that calculus might be changing of what that next model you want to select in 2023. So stick around for that. Actually, Travis was down in Mexico a couple of weeks ago. I just got back from Mexico, took off the palm tree shorts, put on a pair of jeans, sort of getting caught up here. I uh, have some reflections from the event. We were in Mexico City for a week. And then we flew over to Playa del Carmen to do a post-event migration. I don't know exactly, 40, 50 members sort of, there's like a, a group of us that sort of just hung around after. Complete digital detox for me, aside from uh, using uh, Google Maps to identify the closest taco stand. Otherwise, there was no email, there was no Slack. Just sort of reflecting on the week. So when I got back into Austin, I asked the team, yo, what are some of your biggest reflections having 200 listeners of this pod fly down to the Ciudad de Mexico. And uh, I had some interesting thoughts. I pulled it together. The first one they said is uh, more of a party than a conference, but not a party party. Like um, I'm here to meet people that I genuinely want to be around. I'm not here to meet a goal. I'm not here to meet a KPI, a sales figure, anything like that. My heart actually almost exploded the other day because I went to Facebook. It's not because of Facebook, but because of Kevin Kosakella. Shout out, Kev, longtime DCer. He wrote, really nice weekend. I love how genuine you and the whole DC crowd are. You guys fulfill a huge need in the entrepreneurial market. Looking forward to many more of these events. Yeah, heart exploded. Somehow put it back together to come back over to the mic here. But actually, another thing I want to mention about Kevin, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. But speaking of authentic entrepreneurial connections, we often say that back in the day, we used to go to these meetups and we couldn't find our people. When Ian and I lived in San Diego, we were going to all these meetups and we just could not find anybody who seemed to have like a legit business that they grew and cared about it. It was all just people, sharky people wanting to get ahead or use people and stuff. And Kev was at this meetup and he had this business called Try Swim Coach where he was teaching people online. And this is like in 2007, something like 2008. And here we are. Here we are in 2023, still hanging out. So there you go. More of a party than a conference. It's more about, I think, relationships and friendships. And speaking of, you know, tying it into today's episode, the business model diversity is huge. Like this isn't a conference for like publishers or for SaaS or for e-commerce or for agency. 
it's like there's 10% in every category. We're all kind of across the board. That's not the triangulation for us. It's like entrepreneurship plus authenticity, plus freedom, plus travel. And increasingly people who want to build much larger businesses, 30% of the attendees had million dollar businesses or above. Pretty incredible. I wrote down this question to the team. I said, seeking interesting answers. I said, what's something that people need, but nobody wants? The resounding answer was therapy and support groups. So a couple of things. First off, I can't get back into my therapist because he's completely booked up with entrepreneurs at this point. I feel like I need an affiliate commission for that. But when one member came up to me, there's a, we have a mastermind day, a day before the event. So people fly in early to have these kinds of intense conversations about their business. And a member came up to me that's been around for a long time and said, look, I would really want to use this mastermind for personal stuff. Could that be an option for the next event, say in Bangkok? And I thought, yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense that you would want to talk about personal things, you know, provided everybody at the table is comfortable with that, which I think pretty much we are. I mean, I think one year our slogan was uh, the conference where there's more hugs than handshake. I haven't actually done the data analysis on that, but uh, I always thought it sort of captured what we're talking about. And so, yeah, I've said it 10 times on the pod. I guess I think it's worth saying again that a lot of the blockers are just simply personal. And that a lot of the questions, even when we talk about things like a big trend, scaling up, okay, I got a seven-figure business. I want to scale up. Now what? Is my blocker operational? Is it finance? Is it execution? Is it hiring? A lot of times it's our identity. It's our sense of accountability. It's our work ethic. It's, hey, uh, I'm around a table with seven other people who see a glaring problem. The choice is obvious. I'm a smart person. I've succeeded in life. I have a million-dollar business. And seven random people know the thing to do, and somehow I've been blocked from it for a year or more. That's a very common experience that you can identify in therapy and support groups and in masterminds. So kind of interesting. I asked the team what surprised them about DC Mex, and one of the things was that we had 60 meetups. So this is a phenomenon that at our larger event in Bangkok, DCBKK, People come in a week early, they stay a week late, they do the migration thing. That's starting to happen in Mexico City. This is only our second event there. So having 60 meetups about a variety of topics, sometimes people like the meetups better than the conference. It's really cool sitting around with people who, you know, have this very niche interest and they can be on personal topics, business stuff. So I really like that. And that ties into that. I was like, hey, what do you guys think we can improve the most? And I think for us, it's been a challenge to find like high quality venues in Mexico City. A lot of them are just loud. <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I want it to be like a luxury car driving down the highway. I want to be able to whisper to the person in the back seat, you know, and really. <laughs> so we need more soundproof windows or I don't know. We need to sort out this whole uh, venue thing, especially if we're going to have people doing 60 meetups before the event even starts. Also, you have a variety of workshops and and evening gatherings and just coffee get-togethers and all different kinds of stuff. So I don't know. Can you hear it? I'm a little tired. I'm a tired from just, I don't know, being away for so long, being a part of so many conversations and just trying to integrate it and what we're going to do here in the next few weeks and months. So for all of you who came down to join us, like I mentioned, 32 previous guests of the pod actually made it to the conference. It's crazy. There's a number I never really looked into before. But as I was looking over the attendee list, I was like, pretty much everybody could be on the pod. Like everybody's got a story. The best part of going to these conferences is looking at all these businesses and just being like, wow, that's incredible. What an incredible way to earn financial freedom and drive your own destiny 
and travel where you want and come hang out in Mexico for a couple of weeks and you sell that <laughs> or you uh, have a business that does X, Y, or Z. I guess our goal here is to try and feature as much of that as we can. So that's what we'll be doing in the coming months and weeks. Thank you to everyone who's joined us. And for those of you starting your first business or thinking about starting your next one, we hope that someday in some part of the world, you'll join us for a future event. All right. As I mentioned at the top, today's app is with Reg, TMBA Reg, all-time great hang, super <laughs> OG MVP, super impressive, helpful, and authentic. All those things that we love about the sort of people that these events attract. Travis Jamison is going to join us today to talk about business models. Let's just jump right into it. You're going to draft a business model to, to build or own a business in 2023. What do you take? All right. So the, the top one I'm going to say is SaaS. Now, let's just assume all of these are good versions. With the first pick in the draft, Travis Jamison from North Carolina selects SaaS, software as a service. Why? If you get the a right one, it's infinitely scalable. It's clearly harder to make them more profitable than they used to be. But man, you hit on the right thing and it's just printing money. Your expenses kind of stop other than a little bit of hosting cost. So, what is the way know, to the, do it? Why is it getting harder? What are some interesting ways to think about SaaS um, in 2023? I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but the there's a lot more competition in SaaS. But also there's just with OpenAI's ChatGPT alone, I mean, the amount of new things popping up is infinite. So maybe I'm completely wrong. I've had a couple SaaSs and I feel like just the times were easier to scale. Now, there's been so much money thrown at the space that it, it kind of complicates it. Are there know. still hidden niches and less sexy areas of the economy that SaaS is ripe for? Or are p people kind there's, of found it all? I think there's still endless opportunities. It's just not as... I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old and not seeing it. I feel like there's less, but everyone's kind of said that forever. So maybe it's not true. Um, all right. So SaaS, number one pick in the draft. What's your number two pick in the draft? Let's see. I would say communities community an example like investing.io dynamite circle dynamite circle absolutely um, and so basically i've wanted to own part of dynamite circle <laughs> like my entire life basically <laughs> like, i'll, I'll, I'll well, break you off I put, I put this I'll in your ear like <laughs> break, break you off a piece after the call my man all right <laughs> yeah i mean let's talk about why you'd be bullish about communities in 2023 just the finances alone we'll start there it's, it has the scalability of a SaaS to a, a large extent. It takes, maybe you have one support person for 100 people. You, that one support person can probably work up to like 800 people. So that's really good. Like the expenses don't go up with as the size goes up. So that, that's a big advantage, I think. You don't have um, this like linear cog, which a lot of businesses have. Like, yeah. That they put cash demands on you. I mean, yeah. You, I think what you see in uh, often in SaaS and community is you see like systemic issues with scale, but not cost issues with scale. You have to figure out hard problems, but not necessarily expensive problems. Yeah. And they're so cash flow positive. You've probably heard me on e-commerce businesses before, as I will soon. The community, like people pay you and then at the end of the month, you take that money out. It's great. It's just positive cash flow cycles. You're not even dealing with cash flow cycles. It's just paying you. 
That's right. So also, most people who own communities are interested in the topic around the community. Like the Dynamite Circle, again, it's been years of you talking about the stuff that you're interested in and just happen to have a group surrounded by it. Same thing with investing IO. Exactly what I'm doing. Like, I want to talk about investing And so I've got a group of doing that. But with both SaaS and community, if some person came out of college and said, hey, Travis, I want to start a business, I don't necessarily think you'd give them the first pick in the draft, right? You might want to go to a development league, similar to like marketplaces, you know what we did with Dynamite Jobs. It's hard Mm -hmm. with a lot of, there's like, there's some really difficult elements. It's almost as if the higher up in the draft you go, there's harder elements to getting started. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think you can just start a community without something established already. You have to have an established brand or something of the sort. Otherwise, no one's going to come there. You had the chicken or the egg problem. I solved this with my community by buying a website investing newsletter with, that had paid subscribers. And so I, I bought that and then just took them on like, okay, it's now a community. And I posted like their subscriber content inside of the forum. So they were forced to, to go there to read it. And then it just expanded from there. Also community, yep. it doesn't necessarily need to be the business model. It can be a good marketing angle too. So if you could purchase a community that doesn't have a monetization method, you could drop products into the community that are courses or physical goods. You don't necessarily need to go with the community business model to have community be a powerful strategy, essentially. Uh, for sure. I also think the communities are probably more robust, assuming you get a, a good one. As the internet gets weirder and weirder, I, I talked to, or I dropped a link about this on my Twitter a little bit back. I think you read it, but it was talking about the, the internet as a dark forest, essentially. So with AI upcoming everywhere and, and taking over everything, you assume most content is going to be AI generated. With all the deep fakes, you can assume a lot of the TikTok videos and stuff like that will, will be AI. Like you just can't trust anything. You're not gonna be able to trust any opinions. Just like when you search best vacuum cleaner on Google, you don't trust the results, right? Right. And so uh, assuming that the AI becomes more and more prevalent, you assume everything is fake. So where do you go for authenticity? You go into small groups, people you trust, yeah. curated groups. And so communities become more valuable that way. The, the value of them improves over time instead of the opposite. One of the things dealing with our CTO, Simon Payne, I think an interesting weirding that's coming about is like people trust AI more than they trust humans. And why wouldn't they? Right? They trust the algorithm often more than they trust humans too. But I do think that your point is a bit separate, which is if a lot of like your CRM can be done on demand, a lot of your SaaS demand tools or search tools happen in AI, you're still going to want to meet people. You're still going to want to talk to real people. I don't think yeah. that that's going anywhere. All right. Business draft. If we're your third pick in the draft, you've selected so far SaaS and community as the top two. The one so I didn't you, put here is marketplace. So just for the listeners back home, the options that Travis has left on the board are agency, publishing and courses, fund, e-commerce, and marketplace. So a great marketplace is incredible, but it's, it's just so hard to build. I've also it's had like, two sided like marketplace. The, the marketplace has knee troubles and like they've had some like drug rumors. So you're not sure you want to draft them onto <laughs> your team. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love agencies. I think I've talked about this before. Let's talk um, about it on the spot. But agencies can be amazing businesses or they can be terrible ones. So many of the agencies are run by the founder 
and then they get stuck in the business. There's maybe limited pricing power with some of the stuff and it, it's not that great. But the benefit of an agency is if you get yourself out of it, then it's a very cash flow positive. It can be very stable, a lot of recurring revenue, which I'm a big, big fan of. Yeah, I think the agency model is pretty freaking sweet. Let me tell you about my agency. I think basically I'm making 20% on my cash. And my risk is COGS and staff. And if you listen to this show and you want to do some recruiting or something, you go over to remotefirstrecruiting.com <laughs> and I make 20% on that year over year. And it's pretty simple to run. But the problem is, I guess I see what the agency is and where I'm trying to get it, maybe Travis Jamesonify that agency is. I've spent a lot of time trying to help and grow, get involved in stuff. And I don't seem to make a difference. And that's mm. a bit of a problem because now it represents an opportunity cost when it should, it's not just 20% cash on cash. It's actually my energy and my thought and my identity and, and these kinds of things. So it doesn't need to be because our team is so talented there. And I think yeah. that they've communicated that to me. So one of the evolutions I want to make this year, not only because our revenue is down, but the cool thing about an agency is our revenue is down, but our profitability isn't. Because we exactly. could just adjust right away. And so the problem that I see with the agency, Travis, is essentially that it's not worth anything. I don't think I could sell it for much. I don't know. Like it's kind of a weird like risk to take, like with your time and your energy and all this kind of stuff. But like I can't imagine that business really being much that people would come by with the big check. What do you think? I think you're hundred percent right. You want to skip to e-commerce for a second? Because I yeah, think I sure. can tie this back to the the agency. So e-commerce is my least favorite business. Wow. Yeah. As somebody who's my, my most valuable business that I own is an e-commerce company. <laughs> um, but I think they're terrible business models for most people. So you know, I, mine are supplements. And the way it kind of works is come up with an idea. And then we go to the manufacturers. We'll come up with an idea. We work the formula. We hire some PhD to like formulate it. Then we have to deal with trademark issues and registering all this crap. Then we go to the manufacturer, we get quotes, we send it off, we pay 50% up front. Three months later or however long, they come back to us with the finished stuff, pay the last 50%, they ship it to us. Dang. Then we proceed to launch it to try and get traction to sell it. And then we sell it over the next year. And at some point, maybe like month seven or eight, we've recouped enough cash that we can then buy, start the process for the next batch. At no point in anything I just said there did I mention taking distributions. It's just eating cash. The more you grow, the more cash it eats. And e-commerce is just hard. Meanwhile, you look at the, the agency, people pay us, the agency does the work, and there's, there's no cash flow cycle. You just make it every month. And there's downsides. It's far more people-focused. It's not as scalable. But if you're looking for It doesn't for seem cash, like people have the big wins with the agency as off. Like the big win with the agency is the corner office and the Aeron chair. It's not like everybody wants to get out of there. Everybody wants to be in Thailand and Tokyo. And it feels like the e-commerce folks, they're the ones with the more asymmetric outcomes. I think they have been the ones with the more asymmetric outcomes. But that has reversed. So... I just wrote about this recently. This business I'm talking about, my e-commerce business, we were selling it in the process of selling about a year ago. And we were basically getting an offer for essentially like a 6x multiple on profit. Great valuation. I don't really try and sell businesses anymore, but if someone's offering me 6x, I'm going to take it for something like this. Incredible. Uh, and the deal fell through at the last minute. The economy was starting to collapse, like rates were going up, all the, the aggregate FBA aggregators were getting destroyed. And 
So the deal fell through. Now let's fast forward a year later. Our profits are essentially the same. Every month, I essentially make the same amount of money. But the company itself is worth two-thirds as much only because of like the rate changes and the collapsing everything. So I think all these e-commerce businesses that were going for huge sums, you know, just a couple of years ago, no longer are. I think people, a lot of companies are realizing these are not good businesses to own. Revenue doesn't matter. People want these returns now, not 10 years in the future. Mm. Like revenue-based stuff is, doesn't make sense anymore. People want like how much cash can they pull out of a business? And e-commerce businesses just can't do that much anymore. Yeah, the valuations have gone way down. Now, of course, you still can make a lot more out of when you, if you hit an e-commerce business out of the park or you hit an agency out of the park, like the e-commerce business is, is going to do better just because it can yeah. scale so much larger. But I care about cash flow more than what sticker prices are on businesses. Now. Now. What about a fund? I think funds are actually terrible <laughs> businesses most of the time. I love this take. I want to hear about it. We look at VCs as being like, man, they won the lottery. They have the best job ever. I think if, if someone has a fund with, say, half a billion dollars under management, they can be doing very well. They have their management fees, and then they have the carry if they do well. But smaller funds, like they don't... Let's say you have a 10 or $15 million fund. Like, you're broke. Like, you had to make your money before. You're mm. not... There's not enough management fees to scrape off the top to take. And then... To get the carry, basically the carry is essentially, if you don't know, it's uh, the profits, any profits you make. So if someone gives you $100,000 in the fund, once you pay it back their $100,000, everything on top of that, maybe you get a 20 or 25% cut of that, something like that. It's called the carry. The carry takes years, years and years and years. So if you go into the fund business, um, one, you have to make it really big. And two, you're not getting paid for years. Yeah. So it's... If, if you're doing a fund for 20 years and every year you're doing a new fund, let's say it's VC style, you can do well over the 20 years. But if, if not, assuming you pick good companies, but if not, like it is not a quick win at all. It's, it's hard. So much regulation, so much. I think there's know, a reason why people do it sun, in sunset fashion, typically, yeah. right? Like a lot of people, they start a fund or they become coaches is a sunset way to go. They become advisors because if you need cash now, Maybe not the business model to go with. Let me pitch to you a business model that if you need cash now is a very good one. I love publishing in courses. And publishing nowadays to me looks like, okay, you take Notion and you use like SuperSo or whatever and you yeah. make like a sick ass website that's super simple. It's got your photo or brand there with whatever your value prop is. Um, in fact, I'll give a shout out to Cassie's Kitchen. I just saw Gerbs. He's regularly on the show to talk about uh, Bitcoin and crypto. His wife has a really cool business and she made this amazing website. We'll link it up in the show notes. But the idea is, okay, you make this landing page that has your value prop on it with your course. And you talk about what you're passionate about. In her case, it could be how to make these amazing meals or how to build a meals business. We talked about, there's an example of a guy on Twitter who all he talks about is like how to make your YouTube setup look dope. And it just yeah. goes to that Notion landing page, which you've made in a day. And it's like, hey, in three weeks, I'm having a webinar. It costs like this amount to come to. When you start cash flowing it and you start recording the webinar, if people are, have a long-term interest in it, you build the community on the back end. And if you want, you could do it done for you where I fly in and I charge you 15 grand and I build out your studio for you. 
and I'd build out a couple of studios and now I got a contractor who knows all my methods and can do it for me. And this is a really cool way to build a publishing business. I'll give you another example. And I love this because this is like the new productized services for me. It's like Twitter to Notion to webinar to course, and then it's to community, and then it's to done for you. Here's another example. We could start this business today. Golf simulators, okay? I go on Twitter, I go on Facebook, wherever the audience is, forums. I start talking about the nuances, which are endless, about this potential six-figure enclosure in your luxury home. Or at the low end, it could be, at the low end, a $5,000 thing, okay? Mm. So we've got a very large TAM, and we've got a very large ACV, okay? If you don't know what those are, go Google it. And don't stop listening to this podcast if you don't know what those are. Okay. <laughs> I know, I'm just joking around. I'm just joking around. I'm tweeting about it. I'm posting about it. I'm publishing. Now, every month I'm hosting a paid course or a free one, which dumps you into a community, which then, yeah, my crew will come to your house and charge you $65,000 for an amazing Augusta number 13 golf simulator enclosure in your basement. Anyway, I think publishing and courses are really cool. You're drooling. A ton of flexibility. <laughs> You're so turned on by this. <laughs> do it. Oh, <laughs> you could also do this with, man, it's endless. Because these niches, like they come up all the time. How about this? How about home offices in your backyard? Just so many like high dollar value marketplaces that you could come in and be an expert overnight by just elbow grease. And one of those is... YouTube setups. You could probably learn how to be a relative expert in how to make your YouTube screen look great. I know there's a lot of that. Niches on niches, man. It's endless. Yeah. I just want to pay somebody to come and set up a YouTube studio. I don't want to figure out how to use the DSLR camera connected to the computer. No, just, hey, solve yes. my problem. Yeah. And it's All right. Of- I, I think this beats the agencies. It does. Like, well, if this, you have the good one, the problem is there's so many like courses. Well, I know I feel that, you, but like there's now there's this kind of hybridization of in the past, you'd say, well, there's these blue collar businesses, which are in person bricks kind of stuff. And then you've got these courses, which are like, I'll teach you how to be make money via SEO in 30 days or whatever. Yeah. But now you've got this kind of convergence. Look at Squeegee God, where he's saying, yo, I, I think Squeegee God's really found something great, which is he's found this new little niche, which is, I'll just say it publicly, I think. There's a generation of internet native kids, adults, mm-hmm. who are w- like working class, right? In the early days of the internet, there was a, a little bit more bifurcated. It's like you went to university, you did knowledge work on the internet, and you did startups. And now it's like everybody uses the internet. And so now there's these niches opening up that are more broad. It's not so bifurcated. A real life business is a digital business. There's tons of crossover. A golf simulator is a great example because you're using tons of tech. There's community elements, there's internet elements, yeah. but you're also now doing home installs. So I think that Squeegee God is doing it where, okay, it used to be you'd have a home cleaning service or you'd have a window cleaning service, but now your Yelp account is such a critical part of that. And it's actually the most important part of that. And so teaching working class people how to optimize a Yelp account and a digital presence and then de-emphasizing that in-person elements like, hey, anybody can wear your t-shirt. They can have five t-shirts in their truck and toss it on and have a basic SOP for how they represent your brand. Now, all of a sudden, there's like kind of these opportunities 
Um, and this is, can start with publishing. You're essentially like publishing reviews on local Google. You're publishing in Facebook groups in a small community. And you're educating people about what they can do with your service. And then you're delivering a service. But these are the types of businesses I like to invest in, like the type of stuff you're saying. They're hard to disrupt as much. Just AI itself can be disrupting a lot of big business models right now. But little stuff like that, I, I feel like if, if you own the niche, if you're, it's based on trust, more or less. As long as you're not doing sketchy stuff and your trust is good, like, what a great business. Hey, this is Dan. Just to remind you, if you love listening to the Tropical MBA podcast, thank you. Thank you for listening. Check out our brand new website. We just put it up. It's over at tropicalmba.com. Since we don't do news segments on the show every week, the most consistent way to hear about the stories from the thousands of founders that listen to this show every week is to sign up for our newsletter. And as a thank you for doing so, we'll send you a free copy of our book before the exit, some templates that we use to scale and hire in our business, as well as some other goodies. You also receive one email a week that outlines some of the key things that are happening in our community, at our podcast, and with the founders that listen to this show. So check out our newsletter on our brand new website over at tropicalmba.com. We've done the business model draft. I'm so glad you were game for that. You are part owner and observer to tons of businesses. Could you anonymize a few of them that you like the most or even share publicly what they are? And just something that you think is wonderful, like, man, so-and-so is doing X, Y, Z. That's something that I really admire or appreciate. I used to do a lot more angel investing. And I stopped several years ago. One, because the valuations got too extreme, thankfully. I didn't participate in the 2020, 2021 wealth destruction, as I call it, in the venture field. <laughs> but so the, the types of businesses that I like to invest in are ones that are already generating cash and are like real businesses. Like they don't have to like reach some crazy milestone for me to have a good win. And so with that parameter, I kind of will invest in anything. Like I don't have a thesis, really. It's just, is it a good business that is like profitable and stable-ish? Then I'm, and it's at a, good enough value. Like I'm down. It doesn't really matter what it is. So it's, it's really hard to say like, what's this thing I'm looking for? I'm yeah. Looking for anything. And that's, that's the point. I don't want to, for example, like FBA businesses, I don't invest in those right now because I have so much exposure to FBA already through my own thing. So the fact is I don't have a thesis. I can invest in everything that just makes me more robust over time and possibly even anti-fragile because stuff happens and some of the businesses will take off. So, right. And that's one of my favorite sensations as a founder is when something takes off that you didn't do anything about. It feels yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels awesome. Yeah. We had, so the vitamin company during COVID, all of a sudden, one of our products, it was a product we just kind of made because there was market demand. It wasn't like a formula we put together. It's just like one thing. All of a sudden, it's selling like hotcakes. We're like, what the hell is going on? Turns out like there had been some studies out there showing like maybe it helped with COVID. And we weren't saying any of that stuff. It was just this one ingredient product. But so people started buying it like crazy, like 20x what they had been before. Um, just luck. Yeah. That's awesome. How do you think business is going to change in the face of AI? Do you see that washing over your portfolio at all? 
who's going to do well this year and who's going to do poorly? feels like things are changing fast. I mean, my jobs businesses have just been going absolutely sideways as just one mm. example, which is not to do with AI, but to do with the hiring that's freeze. A, that's the economy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you as, seeing your portfolio slow down in general or are certain people still winning? I think everyone's kind of slowing down a little bit just because everyone's not spending to just get to the next level as fast as they can, especially like B2B type of stuff. Everyone, like growth was all that mattered because interest rates were zero. Well, growth matters a lot less now. People want the money now instead of 20 years in the future. And so with that, spending goes down and that kind of affects everyone to an extent. So I'm looking at the portfolios and it's like, I don't know. Everything's down maybe a little bit, like nothing crazy. Real estate, uh, commercial real estate, they're screwed. Just, just interest rates going up. These deals that go through, they're highly leveraged. You know, like 75% of the deal is usually just debt. And they're building their models based on occupancy rates and like the interest rate they'll have to pay. These, a lot of these rates are variable or like they have a cap on it, but the cap expires at some point. Once they expire, their payments have gone up dramatically. And this is happening in, in all assets. Commercial real estate is just the most easy example. But I talked about the supplement company, how it's worth two-thirds as much. Like yeah. everything is compressing. There, it's compressing because all these assets that were using debt before no longer can. And on the other side, for investors who are looking for yield, now the risk-free rate is almost 5%. Like you have options where before you didn't. And with asset prices collapsing everywhere, just sit in, sit in treasuries. Make your 5% risk-free. Like that's great. It's a great way to leave it. Travis Jameson, we hope we can have you back on the pod again very soon. And I hope that we'll start a business someday. We've been threatening to do so. Let's do it within the next five years minimum before the AIs take over. We've got like two years max. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Big shout out to my man, Travis Jameson, for his NBA draft style picks of business formats. Yeah, Travis and I can just get on the phone and talk for forever. I hope you enjoyed this one. Check him out at smashdigital.com and investing.io. That's it. We'll be back as always next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.